Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite powered by a reliable deep linking engine lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome everybody to This Week in Games, episode 172. There's the whole crew, there's the Souf, there's the AT, there's the Crest, and myself, Mishka Katkov. Today, we're going to talk about Ukraine, of course. Uh, we're going to talk about Playtika announcing exploration of strategic alternatives and Gabe Newell's take on the new metaverse. How are y'all doing? I'm good. I'm doing great. I, I went to a bachelor party this weekend. Yeah, and, I saw it on uh, Instagram. Dude, in wait, wait, I thought that was last week. <laughs> how many how many bachelor parties are you going to? No, it was it was just this last weekend. I just came back. Dude, yeah. aren't those days over? How old are you? No, man, no. I'm 37, man. I've well, got, his friends know, are already going on the second round, dude. So this this wasn't this wasn't that that wasn't the case uh, for this bachelor party, but yeah, I mean, this is you know, hey. You know. I, I've got, right. I got young friends. I've got young friends. I'm not, you know, you don't, you're, you're not, it's not a law. It's No, you know what happened? You know what happened was the, the, the bachelor told everyone we were doing mustaches. And then I got there with my mustache and he had just pranked me. I was the only person that was told to grow a mustache. Oh, you're such a sucker, dude. <laughs> I know. And so I showed up <laughs> with this like re really hideous mustache. I would never imagine that you would be you would be get you get you get into that like I said you would figure that out that he was totally punking you. No, got, Eric uh, likes mustaches. He, that's his thing. I, like I don't well, mind the mustache. Thing. Yeah. I, but I I got hoodwinks, man. I got I got yeah, tricked. That, yeah, that seems uh, not characteristic of Mr. Eric. Um, but anyway, uh, I have a I have a I have no updates. Oh no, I have updates. Okay, right. I have a request before you go to the updates. I have a request. Okay. So. Uh, we were we we're looking to so we're actually building a media deck because this is quite the empire now we're running with a twig. No, actually a lot of a lot of advertisers have been asking for a media deck, so so we're building one, and it would be really great if you could send us like if you're listening to this now, it would be really great if you could send us uh, a couple of lines of why do you listen to Twig or the Deconstructor Fun podcast. We will not use 
your quote in anywhere else except in that media deck. And that media deck will be only shown to potential advertisers. So there's like 10 people are going to see it, maybe 20 at max. Um, and why we want to do it is because I think it's just more interesting way to show the data because we have all kinds of data. We're actually going to cross million listens pretty soon. Uh, and then I've also noticed looking at the data that Eric Crest is not our target audience because our target audience is, yes, 85%. Our audience is 85% male, which is true, but it's uh, between 23 and 44 are 88% of all the <laughs> listeners. So, so, so uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a bunch of data that I pulled out of Spotify, which is pretty cool. So uh, anyways, we'd like to hear from you why you listen to it. We got a lot of really cool DMs on, on the Deconstructor Fun Slack channel uh, on why people listen to it. They're funny. Uh, they're really fun to just just put in, and and they're like reviews. So also, please leave review on the uh, if you're listening to the Apple Podcast. Anyway, that was my announcement. In addition to uh, the uh, the Turkey event going hard, so we're gonna publish the schedule. We got more speakers in. Maya Hoffrey from um, from Product Madness is coming in, so it's gonna be wild. It's gonna be fun. Uh, we got um, uh, for somebody from DeFi because there's gonna be a blockchain conversation, of course. Uh, is coming in, so um, just a fun event. So if you haven't signed up, there's a link in the there's a link in the description below. Click it, sign up, and see you in Istanbul. That's those are all my housekeeping announcements. I got my right. I got my ticket. Did everyone have the ticket? Um, I, I think my ticket's been bought. I I, I don't have it yet though. Oh, did I they send mine. you a notification? No, I bought it myself because I'm not gonna fly a coach twelve hours, dude. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. So. Okay, we'll we'll take this offline. Like this is actually a news podcast. Let's not talk about logistics on how we're gonna end up in right. in uh I have a quick correction from last week. Um I have to apologize to Mr. Jason Schreier for questioning his accuracy because uh my sources pretty much confirmed that that what he was saying is true is that they are not gonna have a call of duty in twenty twenty three. I still contend that that may change, but from from my understanding that is actually happening. Um, and, and you never really should doubt someone like Jason because he always has things locked down when he when he puts things in print. And I think that's part of the big reason that Kotaku is such a pile of crap after he left. So um, anyway, he's a, he's, a, he's a great journalist and, and he seemed to have this locked down. So that's pretty, pretty interesting. So Activision is really going to take that billion dollar estimated hit this year? No, next year. Next year. Sorry. Yeah, but like it's Call of Duty 2022 or is it 2023? 2023. So is it? It's not Call of Duty happening in November. It's Call of Duty happening November 2023. Exactly. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So Get that's it. a big thing. Now, in in theory, they're gonna, you know, replace it with lots more live content and and try to keep people engaged with modern warfare, right? That's coming out this year. But that's a big like billion dollar matzo ball, you know, um, coming out in 2023. That's gonna be missing. Uh, yeah. But maybe a better way of managing the franchise going forward. And as part of Microsoft, it even makes more sense, right? Because they, they're not going to be re relying to, they're not going to require having a game like that every year to maintain earnings as a public traded company, right? So, so with the combination, but the, the deal might not even be close. Well, it should be, it might be closed by then. We'll see. Um, the other update, I haven't touched Elden Ring. Uh, so at least I haven't quit yet, Mr. Adam, right? I haven't, I haven't played and stopped. So, uh, I just I've, I've been really busy with this this uh, the the uh, uh, I do a quarterly review for the execs at uh, Warner and so I've been trying to work on that and, and get prepared for that and I just I, I just can't justify the time which is a sad thing to say but uh, but it's very likely I'm going to start playing that thing play for an hour and then go back to Destiny two expansion <laughs> because I, I, everything I'm hearing about the game is exactly what I don't like about games so yeah. uh, how about you Adam. Yeah, you do actually have to think in this game. I know it's, it's a big oh, struggle. No for thinking. Sure. <laughs> no, 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 no thinking. Uh, no, even with my um, you know very limited uh, time because of parenting, I'm about twelve to thirteen hours in since it's launch. Maybe about oh, wow. thirty-five levels. Um, when do you play? I, I, yeah, exactly. When do you play? At night, at night and during nap, very strategically. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely hooked. Um, my only advice to listeners. Just run away. Just run away when you're outmatched. It, there's so many funny things about it because, like, as someone who's played these games, I, I'm aware of this. 
but it's it's like they just did a gigantic fuck you in multiple moments of this game being like if you do not run away if you've kind of leaned back on traditional triple a um design which is you know when i face a boss i'm probably ready for that boss nope not here run away you'll be fine um but no i love it it's got a lot of breath of the wild dna and i think that uh really really makes this game a lot better all right i don't want to talk about this too long but but is there RPG elements in which you can level up and get more powerful than the content? Like, and then, and just barrel through it? Or is you, are you always at like, you know, in a, in a risky situation every time you have an encounter? Uh, you are always in a risky situation in an encounter because you do have to pay attention. Like you can level, you can level, the stats do go up, right? But there's very, very strong balance there to make it so that when you go up against the boss, right, there is never a plow over. There is no, like, wow. two hits, the boss is done. That never happens. Fuck that. Okay, that's the, the, okay I can't do it. I can't do it. That's, that's the nail in the coffin. I'm going to try, man. I, I, God damn it. I'm going to try. All right. Anyway, last thing. We're headed to L.A. over the weekend. The big made hoops tournament. Uh, my son's team finished second. In the, in the pool of the best teams in the West Coast for sixth grade. That includes Arizona, California, Nevada, Washington, and Colorado. Um, they are facing a very tough team in the first bracket. We kind of got screwed on the placement. But if we beat that team, we should be in good shape. Uh, and I'm hoping they pull it out. How tall is your son? He's 12 and he's 5'11". He's a giant. Nice. Wow. I, when, when I think about where Eric's son is going to play, I'm always thinking about Duke for some odd reason. I think because uh, I watched the uh, the documentary of that, whoever, like, a, like, I don't know anything about basketball, but there was this Netflix documentary about some player who played in Duke who was like a major bad boy, um, a tall white guy who yeah. was like, you know, bullying everybody. I was like, that's Eric's son. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, what's his name? Joseph it, Lin? Joe. Uh, Joseph Lynn from the New York. Uh, yeah, oh God, I'm such an idiot. So my wife is half my. I'm she's half Asian. My wife is like super Japanese, super like mm -hmm. if I don't get A, I kill myself type person. And and if um, and so there's there's no way he will ever play professional basketball unless he finishes his degree at Harvard, right? And that's exactly what happened with Joseph Lynn, right? His white mom would not allow him to play and get drafted until he finished his Harvard degree. And so that's that is the future for my son. So Duke is Ivy League, right? No, it's not no, Ivy League. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. And if I right. offended any Asian people, I apologize. But that that that's the way it will. All right, moving right. on. All right. Um, got good news, and then kind of like a, a little bit of a hard one. So, uh, good news. Next, Netflix announces that it plans to acquire Finnish mobile game company Next Game. So I don't think there's going to be any any issues there. I want to congratulate once again. I did this uh, personally through a message, but also, you know, again publicly, Tham Hultanen, who is the CEO of Next Games, um, dashing fella. Anyways, acquired for sixty-five million, uh, which is one hundred twenty percent premium to the stock price. Uh, the company has had a pretty much a rocky road. We kind of talked about it on the podcast a couple of times. So, first game was Compass Compass Point West, which was a Western game, and naturally, Western games don't really succeed in the market. Uh, so that one didn't either. Then they had the Walking Dead RPG game that did really well. But then Scopely kind of announced their uh, Walking Dead RPG game almost at the same time, I think a little bit earlier. But nevertheless, that game did pretty well. It had a innovative sort of a XCOM mechanic uh, with, with the gameplay. It was a very good game. Uh, since then, then the Walking Dead Our World, the sort of a location-based game, had a lot of technical issues and, and they kind of like botched the... Uh, Watched the big launch. They had a Blade Runner RPG game that, of course, was seemed to be quite late and off to the market. And then the last one was Stranger Things, uh, sort of Empires and Puzzles version of it. Uh, we talked about it in the podcast that didn't do too well. It was a good quality game, but but uh, seemed to be sort of a genre IP mismatch. And um, fun fact, our boy Joachim Akren was also one of the founders, though he left a couple of years ago already. But nevertheless, uh, it's really awesome to have another amazing uh, publisher uh, in Helsinki. Like, we have it all here. We got Ubisoft, Zynga, Dude, EA, everything. Why are you characterize? This is a broken IPO. The thing went out at 220, 230, and it was down at 93 cents, and they just got pulled out, right? They're yeah. probably just making the, the VCs whole and 
and it's kind of like a no that fire sale no no well because my understanding and i could be getting this wrong was that part of the ipo was to buy out the vcs exactly uh, so there were no there were no external investors it was just wholly you know it was just owned by the the public markets right and the thing about finland is it's um you know going public on the helsinki stock exchange is tough because there's not a whole lot of uh daily turnover right it's like a lot of pension funds that buy and hold yeah. um and so the idea is like you buy into like gaming because that's finished gaming ecosystem is you know really strong and and so that 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 was part put but the problem with that is like there's not a lot of you know sort of liquidity and so if if you know sentiment sours you you drop precipitously right and that's kind of what happened with next games what like three years ago um yeah. they lost like 50 60 percent of their value in like a week yeah, or something like that world. and yeah yeah and and then you know it's ever since then i've been you know it's 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 just it's 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 tough to you have to have a dramatic change in the narrative in order to, to, to get the stock to move. Right. And so I think that was, that was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, a good outcome because there, there could be worse outcomes. And as I said, there were kind of three games in a row that, that weren't, you know, um, hitting their mark. So it's really good that, that Netflix acquired the studio. And I believe that they, they have the ability to execute against IP, which they have done several times before and have been working on multiple different IPs. So, uh, we'll be playing their games on Netflix app think so uh, Me, or wherever they come in Miska, can i jump in uh with my updates before you go to the your next one of course of course so a couple a couple updates for me just or more like observations right so the first is that um i don't know if any of you are following wish uh ticker w-i-s-h uh that's the the company that sells uh they used to be famous for like those really random facebook ads that you'd see for just like kind of tchotchkes and bric-a-brac and uh, anyway um they, they basically like have uh, manufacturers in China and they sort of sell and, and, and they were, you know, that, and sell those items, like just, just random, like stuff you'd find in a dollar store. Right. Um, and then they sell it in the U S right. And that was the kind of, that was, that was the business. Um, they went public a couple years ago and, but at one point they were the largest advertiser on Facebook. I mean, they spent the most money on Facebook. I mean, it, it, it just, just pumping. They were, they're almost like the, the, the earliest sort of growth story with DC. Right, they had this this stuff that they had created in China, and these these manufacturers made stuff in China. They ran a bunch of Facebook ads and kind of just arbitraged the difference in what they could sell this for and uh, what they bought it for, uh, inclusive of the the cost of the ad spend. And they were the the the, the, the biggest uh, they, they they had the highest uh, budget on Facebook for, at some time. I think that was like a rumor. Anyway, um, so they went public at a price of twenty bucks, and today they're trading at two. Uh, the market cap is 1.36 billion as of today, and they had raised uh, 1.6 billion. And so I, I think like this is just a great and, and this, you know, it'd been the case that the, the company was, you know, not doing very well for, for a while. But, you know, like six months ago, they were trading at uh, seven, right, or 7.2, right? So they're, so they're down even further from that, which is about a third of the, the debut price. But I think this is a cautionary tale around you know, that the whole Silicon Valley idea of like raise a lot of money, grow really fast, dump it into user acquisition and like just pass the buck to the next investor. Right. And like this is what happens when you don't really do user acquisition, but you just buy revenue. Right. Because they didn't you wish didn't buy users. They bought transactions. Right. They just sort of they bought a, a, a one off transaction. And every single time that they there's no repeat like use, there's no like like loyal lifetime customers, right? There were just people that bought one thing, um, which was just some like dollar store esque, you know, tchotchke uh, from a Facebook ad. And, and then they weren't like loyal wish customers. They just bought that thing and they forgot about the company. They may not even have sort of recognized the name of the company that sold it to them. They just wanted whatever this thing was. And, and that's a, that's, that can turn into a death cycle very, very easily, right? Um, that, that can very quickly become, well, we're just going to buy more revenue and more revenue. And at some point, uh, there's a brand marketer in the back saying, but at some point we'll have built a brand, right? And and that will that will save us, and that will like provide the buoyancy uh, to sort of uh, reduce uh, marketing costs over time, um, and increase customer lo loyalty, increase repeat purchasing, re increase uh, average order volume, and that is uh, a fairy tale, right? Like there's I think there's very few cases where that actually happens, and now you have like a disastrous case where it did not happen, right? Um, so, you know, a lot of public markets investors holding the bag on this company that at one point was worth 10 billion is now worth uh, one. 
So I, I thought that was worth bringing up. Another. Um, it's funny how you the, bring brand marketers into this, though. <laughs> but that's but that's what happened. I guarantee you, that's what happened. There was a brand marketing person because they they were the ones that sponsored the Lakers or whatever. Remember that they had the the badge on the jerseys, and it's like, oh man, if we just spend more money, all we need to do is spend more money, and we'll hit like some sort of critical mass with awareness, and our advertising costs will drop, and then our unit economics will flip. Right, just need to spend a little more money, and that's just such an addictive. It's it's just it's it's such an addicting uh, uh, premise, but it just it's it almost always doesn't work, right? Um, okay, so the other observation is I was watching the State of the Union last night, and Biden uh, made some. He kind of he he made a comment. He's like, "Oh, we need to address digital advertising privacy." Right? Like, okay, here we go. Now 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 we're talking. He's going to come out, and he's going to have like a kind of full throated support of some of the legislation that's already been proposed or he's going to have a, a, a you know a proposal for for a way to to sort of bring this this the bring like a, a, a privacy initiative uh, at the national level because that's what's missing right all these platforms are getting away with their own sort of proprietary uh, policies because there is no guidance from the federal government right there's no national privacy law in the US or state level laws it's kind of a patchwork they're all they're, 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 there's differences between them they're all kind of like um, you know, kind of conceptually the same. But I was like, here we go. Finally, here's some leadership. There's a hot button issue. I'm glad to see, you know, Biden's taking a stand. And then he said, we need to ban targeting, targeted advertising at children. And it's like, okay, first of all, it's already banned. There's COPA. COPA exists to do that, right? And that's managed by the FTC. But second, like that's so narrow relative to the, the Banning Surveillance Advertising Act that was, you know, put forward um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so it's like, okay, well, that's not a strong, bold initiative. That's basically saying we should do the thing that we're already doing and, uh, and not really go much further than that. Uh, so I'm not, that didn't uh, fill me with a lot of optimism that we're going to see any sort of like, you know, national uh, agenda for, for digital privacy anytime soon. And last uh, little update for me, Mobile Dev Memo hosting a South by Southwest party March 16th. It's going to be in Austin, South by Southwest. Uh, I don't have a link for you yet, but just go to Eventbrite, search for South by Southwest Mobile Dev Memo, and it'll come up, or DM me or something. Um, but anyway, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun party. That's it for me. Um, I, I I moved my updates to the end. I I don't want to down everybody with uh, with Ukraine. So those who are interested in in Ukraine stuff and the in, impact of that in the uh, in the industry, just listen to the end of the podcast. And those who want to be still on the cloud nine, just keep on just <laughs> walk away at that point. <laughs> So let's uh, let's move on to the Steam Deck. Yeah, let's get into Gabe Newell's um, press tour. Gabe's been on a press tour supporting the Steam Deck, which just launched. Um, it's actually, he's been opening up about a lot of things, not just Steam Deck. Um, also talked about NFTs, Metaverse, Game Pass, um, etc. Um, so my quick takeaways from reading all the press uh, relating to the interviews, like on Steam Deck, I'll do this quickly because I know Eric... You hate this, so it's fine. <laughs> Critical reviews overall have been mixed. Uh, I would say leaning positive, negative. It just feels like um, there's a lot of overhauls still being done to the UI. Um, and while it's very, very powerful and very customizable, it doesn't necessarily mean that out of box it works with all the different games. The positive has been just how great it is to play um, Steam titles on the go um, with a fairly large mobile console still. but. Uh, still being able to power to customize pretty much everything and surprisingly modern titles, including things like Elden Rings. Elden Ring is actually running okay on the console. Um, I'm getting one. Um, Eric thinks it's going to be mice nuts, but what else? What else is new? Um, <laughs> I like. I don't know what the industry expectations are for this unit. Uh, I'm assuming similar to like you know a multiple of Steam Link or Steam Controller. Uh, we're really talking about like Steam fanboys going out and buying this, so I don't think this is going to eat into Nintendo's share or meaningfully change the console wars. Chris, what, what's I mean, your no, thoughts on this? I mean, no, it's, it's, a, it's a really good piece of kit to some degree, but it's just not, it's not going to move the needle on anything. It's not interesting, you know? It's, it's, it's a very rare use case of wanting to play core games on the, on the go um, and not take advantage of an insane PC rig, right? But, you know, I mean, I, the, the, and maybe maybe I'm a bit raw. I mean, like it's clearly, like uh, the Switch has has unlocked lots of, uh, I wouldn't say core game. See, that's the thing. Is like it's the type of content that is available on the Steam. It's just not that interesting from a from a 
to take it on the road, right? I think uh, Switch lends itself and their content lends itself more to that. So we'll see. I mean, we've been there. PSP, PSP. Go. I, dude, I've been doing this stuff forever, dude. <laughs> yeah, the PSP was an amazing kit, piece of kit, but it died on the vine because no one, no one really wanted that back then, right? They'd rather play, sit back on, and watch it on a big screen TV. And I, and I think for for the core gamer, that's where they prefer to play. That's what the consumer wants. And so what's interesting about this is you get a lot of great press on it because I think everyone loves Gabe and everyone loves, um, you know, the idea of this type of thing, but it's just never going to expand beyond that super niche group. Um, on NFTs, um, I don't want to go into debate. We can move that to the crypto corner. Um, he just mentioned that 50% of the transactions that they received from Bitcoin when Steam offered it were fraudulent, uh, which actually forced them to backtrack on offering that currency and really <laughs> spoke to the usefulness of Bitcoin and crypto as a transactional currency is really questionable concerning the volatility and transaction costs. Uh, definitely agree on that. And on banning NFT-based games, pointing to just how many scams there are in the market. Um, and I think his, his position was similar to Tim Sweeney, just saying that the technology is promising, but... The level of scams means that they can't really operate in that space. Um, on Metaverse, um, the direct quote is this. There's a bunch of get-rich-quick schemes around Metaverse. Most really? people who are talking about Metaverse have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. This is a quote from, from Gabe. Um, and they're apparently Shock. never played an MMO. <laughs> they're like, oh, you have this customizable avatar. And it's like, well, you know, go into Final Fantasy XIV and tell me that that isn't a solved problem from a decade ago. <laughs> Not a fabulous thing that you, you know, invented. <laughs> uh, all I can say is amen, brother. I, yeah, I, I, man, good, good, good for him, dude. But I, what I don't, I don't understand the get quick rich scheme comment. Like, are there any get... I mean, yeah, with, with crypto and NFTs for sure, but the metaverse, the get rich quick yeah, schemes. I, I think I think it's like get investment quick. Yeah, schemes, maybe. right? Yeah, I, 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 I like nobody's nobody's getting rich off of metaverse stuff. Yeah, it's funding companies based on. I, I will say that like it's a bummer uh, if Gabe Newell uh, absolutely like eviscerates you know an idea of yours or a concept you're championing because that guy is like brilliant. Right. I mean, that's that's just that's not uh, a fun. It's not a fun experience. I think if Gabe Newell's is kind of a really, one. you don't think so? Really? Dude, I mean, sure, like, he's brilliant, but he missed mobile free to play completely. He no, uh, he did not miss free to play though. He didn't miss free to play. Well, he certainly missed mobile. Sure. They haven't come but, out with a game in twenty years. They, no, did, but they, they, they did, did launch Steam. the. Yeah. They built Steam. I mean. No, they have not released a game for Valve. I, I know that, but because they but like, did, but like, are you going to fault Microsoft for not having a mobile strategy? They, they did. Really, they bought Nokia. They did have a strategy. <laughs> At least they went after it. Right? <laughs> I guess they went they after failed. it. Yeah, but no, no, like Valve, Valve is Valve. I mean, they they operate Steam. Why why would they need a mobile strategy? Yeah, they they just chose a different path. I mean, what uh, what's the estimated value? It's got to be ten billion plus. Yeah, ten. Valve was valued at ten billion of, as of March fourteenth, two thousand nineteen. Like they built a multi-billion dollar business that never raised outside money, I don't think, um, via Steam. So they don't need, I mean, they're not a games oh, developer uh, anymore, right? Are we forgetting about their, you know, their, their hardware platform that failed, like burned out within like six months? Uh, well, people try stuff but and sometimes it doesn't work, but they still built a multi-billion The Steam machines, business. dude. The Steam The link. Steam machine was a disaster. Oh, the Steam machine, right, yeah, yeah. No, the, no Valve like, is weird in this when it comes to hardware, right? Um, when it comes to like actually committing to the long term of building a first, like making that jump, they've always done these half steps and then taken a step back, like with Steam Link, Steam Machines. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I I think he's a he's like a visionary guy. I think building Steam. I mean, yeah, he didn't they didn't go to mobile. That was just a choice. It doesn't mean they like necessarily missed it. I mean, he still built a multi billion dollar business. There's a lot of mobile. There's a lot of people that went mobile first that didn't build ten billion dollar businesses, right? Understood. But this was. A... <laughs> The thing that he built was a decision that was made what twenty years ago. Well, yeah, they because they were they built half Half Life, right? I mean, that was the the game, and then but then having built the Steam platform, I could see just saying, no, look, the Steam plat. That's what I'm saying. The Steam platform was built what twenty years ago. Was it that long ago? A long time ago. At least it, like it, it mainly got traction through Counter Strike, no? Counter Strike and then Dota. Yeah, and then yeah. And then, all right, moving on. But uh, Eight, 18, 18 years ago. 18, 2003. But, but Sufer, did you have any comments on the, the Metaverse comment, or was that it? 
Um, I don't know. I mean, it, I feel like the thing is, if you look at this as, uh, if you say metaverse equals VR, or if you say metaverse equals uh, in-game social environment, like I don't, I think you kind of miss the 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 core concept, right? My my, and I don't want to like get into like a metaverse rabbit hole, but it, well, anyway, I'll skip that. It's not it's not interesting. But I think like if you just look at the metaverse as being like, hey, there's a game, and you kind of like bring your social life into it. That's not the metaverse. That's not what anybody is is championing as an idea. I guess I have issues when people are championing basic MMO concepts as a brilliant new idea. That's, and I think that's that's what spoke to me in this quote. Um, not that you know we're we're dismissing that there will ever be something like a metaverse in the future but i think yeah i mean very look, likely I, I, moving forward it's going to look more like an mmo than it is going to be some brand new thing that somebody's never seen before I, 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 said, I don't but i don't think it's metaverse is not uh not not game it's not a it's not a games concept right a metaverse is like a sort of like holistic digital representation of your life and you can game there you can work there you can you know m you meet new friends there you can go on dates there i mean that's what's being proposed is it's like it's basically like a digital uh it, parallel to to your life and that's a place where you can also live like a real enjoyable like meaningful life yeah but i what i'm saying and i've been saying this for a while is that's a fucking bullshit definition because that's never fucking happening right that's happening like 100 years from now maybe right that you have like some ubiquitous like platform in which everyone is participating and everyone is using you know plugging in with their con whatever that's not happening all what's happening is that we're building out metaverses for different audiences and the metaverse has been around for a while because in World of Warcraft, it's like the rec room guys, right? Now, I think their product is good and they're doing whatever. Dude, people have been doing that shit for decades in World of Warcraft, getting together and shooting the shit <laughs> yeah. around like, you know, places in, in, in that world, right? It's like, that's there's nothing new in that design. It's just the way it's, way it's packaged and, and who it's trying to appeal to maybe. But anyway, I think all these things are metaverses. And, and I agree with Adam that... You know, trying to define it in something bigger than it really is it's just it's just nonsense right? well you, it's it's i think what, what when I, I i partially agree i think when when people are clearly just building an mmo and they try to position it as something much bigger than that be, just because they use the word metaverse that I, I think that's probably what he was alluding to when he talked about get rich quick schemes it's like well okay i'm obviously building just a game but if i position it as the metaverse and that's a sort of buzzy um you know sort of uh, uh uh kind of idea right now that 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 makes investors excited because it seems like this big you know world changing concept then that yeah i could see that as being like well you're raising at an outrageous valuation because you're positioning it, this as something that it's not and like i totally agree with that but i think like if you could genuinely build towards a metaverse there's like a lot of value to be unlocked in doing that Right. But I also love the comments that he had about Neil Stevenson. He's, he's like the, the personal friends. And he said, you know, like this guy is just bummed out that hit this word that he, he coined got like co-opted by, you know, companies that he probably doesn't really like um, <laughs> and projects that he doesn't really like. That's, that's kind of a funny thought. Um, what I actually found most useful or most interesting from the press tour was two points. Um, one was that Valve just doesn't give a shit about Microsoft and Activision deal or Sony and Destiny or M&A in general. Um, basically citing that M&A historically in games has been extremely difficult with many devs actually going back to independence, uh, like in the case of Bungie, is likely not going to be worth the price. Uh, Valve's position in the market really is unchanged despite Microsoft Microsoft's moves. Um, so Valve's history with M&A, in my eyes, has actually been really, really smart, right? They picked up Kim Swift's Portal game, Dota mod, Counter-Strike mod developer, like really, really early games that obviously showed a lot of promise at that time. And then just, you know, picked up those creators, gave them the scale and the resources they need to grow that title. And really like Portal, Dota, Counter-Strike, all are at Valve scale now. Um, but of course this doesn't really, uh, this isn't quite repeatable and is very, very uh, intermittent, right? It, it takes a long time between each one of these blips that can become the size of Dota or Counter-Strike. Um, but then you compare that to acquiring Call of Duty and Blizzard, right? It's very, very different. Um, number two, the second thing was, you know, what does Valve look like when there's something like Game Pass growing in the background? Uh, and they talked about Game Pass eventually coming to Steam. And that actually Gabe is open to it. This is very likely, hey, we're open to it but we actually haven't figured anything out. <laughs> so I'm just going to look like the good guy here. Um, Valve is also notoriously not top-down, so this is likely just Gabe 
you know, just ranting and just thinking about it, not that the hive mind has actually made up their mind. Um, but really trying to think through the logistics of how would you ever get Game Pass onto Steam and making this work for both parties is pretty hard to see. Um, Steam currently allows third-party developers to offer subscriptions um, and their benefits on Steam. So, for example, EA Play is on Steam, which is roughly $5 a month. You get trial periods for new EA games, in-game rewards, access to old titles, um, and 10% savings on digital purchases. And this is likely fine. Like, this is probably negotiated when EA came back to Steam. EA gets more exposure to its subscription across all platforms. And, you know, the benefits don't really impede on the major revenue driver for Steam. So, sales of new games, FIFA, Madden. EA likely would be paying Steam a cut for some of these subs as well, but of course this is just complete speculation. I have no idea what types of deal that they made. Um, but anyways, so if Game Pass comes over, does that mean all the titles in Game Pass? Which, you know, would already rival my existing Steam library? Would this include all the day one launches that would come on from Microsoft? And logistically, would Steam then have to demand a cut of Game Pass subscription revenue for anyone playing from their launcher, right? How, how would they actually make this work? Like, and for Microsoft, do they see more promise just kind of siphoning players away from Steam by offering, you know, go, go pay for the game on Steam at full price or get it through Game Pass on our launcher? What's the real benefit of actually moving to Steam? Um, so I guess this is more a question for you, Chris. Do you see a path here, or is this just... No. Why yeah. would Microsoft do that? It doesn't even make sense. They're building yeah. their own platform. I guess if they're pushing for subs, then every distribution node is important. But I think the, the bad blood between Steam and Microsoft is long. And I don't know if they were, they're going to be played nice together. But um, no, I don't think it makes sense, really, yeah, honestly. So... But as Valve right now in the market, looking at Game Pass PC growing, do you think they should be more aggressive than they are right now? Or are they actually fine to kind of play the cockroach and ride this this out? Well, I mean, they just don't have, they didn't have the content strategy to execute against something like this, you know? And maybe they can get enough partners to put something together, but not like a, a new game service, right? You know, so no, they can't- Oh, really oh yeah, yeah, no, definitely not be aggressive and then build their own content subscription i don't think that makes sense um, right like they, they could build a subscription service across all of their free-to-play titles but then it's the same thing as ea play right yeah, how does that even add any value if it's if it's not new games it's not really valuable right if it's just catalog you know we saw did we talk about sony's announcement i can't, I can't remember which one you know, sony's announcement about what their subscription thing is it's a joke it's a fucking joke they're just repackaging their existing subscriptions it in the most obscure way possible. You know, so many friends out there, just stop making it so freaking complicated, right? Have two subscriptions, one premium, one not, end it, right? Why do they have the, their third one that makes no sense, you know? So anyway, it, those are irrelevant. Like that's not what we're talking about with Microsoft. Microsoft is building a content subscription that's super compelling with lots of like, with new content coming and, and then continually deliver on it. Having old games and and free to play or all this other crap you're talking about i don't think it's really all that interesting you know but as but as valve right now you have game pass coming up on the side um likely is siphoning off sales siphoning off players do you do anything about this no no you just accept that you'll be smaller in 10 years yeah who cares they have three big games <laughs> they have they have a, a really really good distribution for pc both indie and 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 some triple a like that's the thing with Valve. It's like Valve has basically used this as his piggy bank for a long, long time. Like they're not really strategically focused on on, on aggressive growth. They're just basically maintaining their fiefdom, right? It, it, it works for him. I think that's all he wants. He's you know how I many few times people have tried to acquire him. You know, <laughs> they're like he's like fuck off, right? Leave me alone, right? I'm doing my thing. <laughs> and good for him, right? I I, I I I have a lot of respect for that. Like he's 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 in his own lane, you know, and that's all he wants to do. But I wouldn't expect, yeah, I wouldn't expect any type of aggressive moves outside of that. I guess it's not expect, but if if you wanted to grow as Valve for the next 10 years, would you do anything about it? I mean, I could think of many things I would do if I really wanted to be aggressive growing. First, I would content strategy of some sort, but I just don't think that's what they want to do. So I'm not, it's not even worth like pontificating on or speculating on. You know? All right, let's talk All right. about Playtika. Non-answer. <laughs> All right, Playtika. 
so Pleetika announced that it's exploring strategic alternatives. Um, you know, the company announced in a press release that they are starting a process to evaluate strategic alternatives for the company. Um, the board is looking at uh, the sale of the company or other types of transactions. Basically, this means they're looking for a buyer, right? They retain the Rain Group, and actually, I'm actually surprised. I don't know anybody at Rain. What? I, I know I've met someone at Rain before, but. Is, is that guy in LA? Uh, oh, shit, this isn't Joseph Kim. Anyway, I think I met someone from Rain. But anyway, Rain is like a really, like the de facto team that does M&A in the space. So they are going to represent them on the sell side and try to find a buyer for uh, Platika. Um, yeah. And then they have legal counsel from Latham Watkins, which doesn't mean shit. Um, okay, so the, the quote is, the goal of the strategic evaluation process we are announcing today is to ensure that we are taking every step possible to maximize value for our shareholders said the CEO. We have always been focused on growing our core business through our investments in people and technology, and I'm incredibly proud of our results as a leader of the mobile game industry and entertainment. All right, so that's it. Stock was about up 12 to 20% after the news. It's come back around down to about 18, 19 because of a variety of reasons. Uh, they announced their earnings and it wasn't really all that bad, but still they're growing very, very slowly, like up 9% year over year. EBITDA was only up like 4.4%. And they and again, they basically are showing pressure on margins because UA is becoming prohibitively expensive and they're not very effective in 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 the social casino space. Um, and what's interesting, and well, I don't know if it's interesting, but what they didn't do was give guidance for 2022, which I think would have racked the stock because I think they're in real trouble right now, just generally speaking. But um, which would yeah, and that would have been severely disappointing for Wall Street if they if they actually you know guided to numbers that were lower than expected, which I think they would have, um, but they could punt it because they're looking at strategic alternatives. Um, so I mean, at the end of the day, this comes to uh, you know fundamental changes in the business that these companies really can't control, and when Apple pulls the rug from under them in terms of UA, this is what happens, right? Um, I think this is another victim of Apple's malfeasance. And, you know, although one, one could argue that this, and I think I've made the argument on the podcast before, is that this type of company should have never been public to begin with, right? They are far better as a part of a bigger company than they are as a standalone company because they are completely almost 100% reliant or 85%, I don't know what the percentage is now, on social casino, right? And so having one genre company is not uh, very... Uh, smart from a long-term perspective on the public markets. But this was part of the fervor and the craziness of the last couple of years um, with all these companies going public that we're talking about next, that other company that Eric was talking about, and then all this, you know, still front, uh, Embracer, like, it's just, you know, like, what do you think is gonna happen, right? I mean, at the end of the day. Um, so anyway, back to the Platika, okay. Uh, so my fundamental thinking here is that they are seeing the same headwinds that Glue did, that Zynga did, that SidePlay is going to, and they're all like basically realizing that the future does not look as bright as the past. And now let's look for an exit. And the way these acquisitions happen with Glue, as I've said many times with Glue and Zynga, is they are now part of a bigger company that basically absorb them and have some kind of multiple arbitrage that adds their revenue and earnings and and lets them be an independent entity within those companies and it's more valuable there than it would be as a standalone company like so that's what's happening right and a lot of this has to do with the, the dynamics in the market a lot of it has to do with that you know apple's you know insane policies <laughs> insane privacy policies um which is are going to likely continue this year and so everyone's starting to see like google comes on board apple's going to be pressured to do get rid of a uh, fingerprinting and like the whole thing is going to be a fucking mess um, ultimately. But um, so anyway, I think that's it. This company does not. Oh, sorry. In terms of who would buy these guys, that's not, I forgot to write this down. So the fundamental problem with Platika is that they are a social casino company. So they're very many companies are just kind of objecting to social casino in general. So it's not going to be an easy sell, um, you know, like Zynga like has part of their business in social casino, but you know, majority of it's not. So that's a little bit easier to digest. So for instance, EA has never wanted to get involved with social casino, which would be a potential buyer for these guys. 
um, and other companies, you know, kind of object to that whole mm. business. Um, so I don't really, really know. And everyone keeps asking me who are the buyers here. I actually don't know. I would actually aristocrat. Aristocrat would be one, but this is too big for them, in theory. I think so, in theory, I don't know, it's pretty big. But yeah. aristocrat's a big company. It's possible. That's that's yeah, the only one that I could think of. Yeah, this kind of. Uh, I mean, this kind of bleeds into into what I'm going to talk about next regarding the Ukraine, because there's going to be a lot of impact that, you know, not only on the on the whole world, but also on the game industry as, as, as it is. So uh, if you will, uh, I will talk a little bit about the uh, the Ukraine war's impact on the games industry, because I, I think it kind of ties in into the uh, the Playtika deal to some extent. So before we do, before we go yeah. into that, do, are there any other buyers that you guys can think of that makes sense? Take two would take two bolster. You no, know, no, 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 they, no, yeah. no, 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 no. They're too. They gotta. They gotta do with what they have. Like they can't chew gum and tie their shoes at the same time. What are the fuck expressions? <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it could. Any, yeah. Anything, Eric? They're too big. I mean, maybe private equity, but that, that's big for private. No. Equity. Seven, 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 seven point seven billion right now. But just pointing out that they hit. The stock was at like 30 right before last earnings, and then it dropped yeah. to like 22 in a day, right? And then it continued to decline. Um, you know, I don't, yeah. So, yeah, they're now at like the eight, eight they're like, they dropped, they're down at today another 3%, so like 19 right now. I mean, it's just like, yeah, it's a, it's a tough road ahead. Um, it'd have to be someone like very strategic. Seven billion is a lot, though. It's just very I know. expensive I know. for a mobile only company. And like, well, who's, le- who still needs, a mobile asset, right? I mean, it's a little late. It's a little late, late to the party. Yeah, and I, I think if 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 some of the Asian names were still active at this level, like uh, you know, Tencent, NetMarvel, NetEase, whatever, like that's possible. But even then, this business, like Social Casino, doesn't even exist outside of the U.S. and Europe, yeah. right? It's, yeah. You know, it's not US like U.S. mainly. Any, U.S. mainly. Yeah, and so it's like, I mean, it's a way of getting into this business, but it's expensive. But it, but that's obviously. You know, tiny for someone like Tencent, but I, I, I don't know who the, I think rain has its work cut out for them. How about that? Well, um, what I could see them doing though, is pairing off some of the assets, right? So, cause they've, they've acquired a number of studios, right. In the last couple of years, yeah. uh, a lot of which were, were not core to the social gaming uh, business. And they might, they might just split off some of those assets. Um, and then, you know, the core social casino piece maybe is digestible by a bigger company. I don't know. Yeah, I, guess, I mean, I guess we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what what comes of it. I think, yeah, I yeah, I just don't envy their their position, even though they're really really smart guys by every measure I've heard. Um, it's just that their the market moved against them, right? If without a UA, without the, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. If there's if there, if you can't target, so the one stat I heard recently, I keep thinking I'm repeating myself, but. The the, the 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 sorry the in the West the social casino market is like four billion dollars a year four billion right and they say that like less than like three hundred thousand people drive the majority of that business like that's what I was some stat that I was heard I was like holy crap right and so like if you don't have the ability to like hyper target these crazies spending all this money on social casino it's just impossible to replenish your your ranks and and keep revenue going you know. So, I don't know. Yeah, that Seems was I, that. I think that stat came from a podcast that I did. We I had a, a guy on who ran, uh, um, Rich uh, uh, David Phillipson from Data Seat, and he mm-hmm. said, "Yeah, there's like a hundred thousand uh, social casino players, and and that's that's <laughs> you know, and they they and, and so they're just like they just sort of cycle around the category, yeah. right? And they and everyone has their everyone had their IDFA, everyone has their GAID." And they just they just snipe them on DSPs like that's the game that's that's the business it's just sniping these people from competitors um, and getting them back into your game. Yeah. And and also I think casino players play how I forgot what was the number but I think it was like three or five casino games at the same time. It's like in a in a real casino like when the game goes cold you you switch to the other game. So so it's uh, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting genre for sure. Yeah, it's wow. the dirtiest genre out there, honestly. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, I worked at Zynga, and I remember because they would bring in VIPs, of course, you know, once in a while to to the uh, the studios, and and um, you know, i I'm used to the uh, the midcore VIPs that we would bring uh, to meet, and I would say the casino VIPs are not 
the Mitcore VIPs. They are a very interesting uh, bunch of people, very American, if I may say, <laughs> with 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 everything, every 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 point of of, of the way. Anyway, anyways, um, can I now talk about Ukraine? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Ukraine war's impact on games industries. Okay, folks, let's take a little break from the conversation. Talk about your post IDFA cross-platform strategy. More specifically, how you're going to monetize that sweet console and PC audience of yours. Well, here's where Player One comes to the picture, providing a huge revenue opportunity for developers and publishers. In fact, it's the only engagement monetization platform designed to reward free-to-play console and PC gamers. Now I know what you're thinking. Players don't want to watch ads on console and PC. Well, that's actually not true. According to extensive surveys with players who are playing the most popular AAA free-to-play games, Player One found an overwhelming desire, 77% to be accurate, by gamers to have an option to earn free in-game content in exchange for watching 15 to 30 second advertisements. Now, the second thing you're thinking about is that you don't want to show other games to your console and PC players. Well, Player One got you covered once again. Firstly, the platform lets gamers decide if they want to watch TV quality brand sponsored videos inside their favorite titles in exchange for cool in-game items and awesome content. Secondly, as I said, Player One's inventory is purely of TV quality brand sponsored videos, so you won't have to worry about churn or build segmentation profiles. Plus, given the fact that the majority of free-to-play players on PC and console never actually spend any money in the live service area of those games, Player One is providing a way for developers and publishers alike to help their loyal players to get access to all the additional content that's being created while maintaining their games economies. Player One is fully optional for players and completely respectful of game flow. And for developers, Player One has been proven to drive retention, lifetime value, and additional revenue, all while maintaining monthly active users and reducing churn. Everybody wins with Player One. Gamers unlock immediate rewards, developers enhance the playing experience and generate passive revenue, and brands connect meaningfully with the most passionate audience in media. Visit playerwon.com to see how it works in practice or Get, go to the link in this podcast description below. Now, back to the episode. Then as a context, uh, I have to say that my father is from Russia and my mother is from Ukraine. Uh, so it's a, it's a very sad and, a, and a some, you know, I would say emotional topic for me. It's been kind of hard um, following the news since I've been in Ukraine multiple times. And I know those those places where the, uh, which, are, which are being essentially bombed down. Um, so what's happening is, horrible. I think nobody can deny that. And I think what will happen next in Russia will likely be even worse because, um, yeah, it's not the first time when people die due to the wrongdoings. And with these sort of a, uh, economical, unprecedented um, uh, sanctions that are being set, uh, it could be, you know, a very, very sad, um, sad situation. Uh, you know, uh, major depression uh, through that hunger, um, lack of medicine. Anyway, I don't want to talk about all those all those bad things. Um, and then there's the butterfly effect overall with massive impact on energy prices that we're going to see soon in Europe as well as other places. Wheat is huge ac export actually from, from Ukraine as well as from Russia. So that will hit significantly, uh, especially Africa and Middle East. So there's a there's there's a lot to play here, um, not to mention, you know, all the all the uh, all the loss of, of human lives. Uh, I want to say that it's amazing to see a lot of support from game companies, um, of course, from other companies and people as well. But just to name a few, Embracer Group has, has said that they will donate one million for charities providing aid to those impacted by the invasion. And it's really cool that, that the CEO, Lars uh, Vingefors, uh, will also match this donation from his own money, pledging another one million to support uh, Embracer's employees and contractors who are directly impacted by the crisis. Digital Extremes, uh, the, the company behind Warframe, also donating through Canadian Red Cross. Ubisoft is providing housing in neighboring countries where teams and their families can take shelters. CG Project is, is, is pledging money. Wargaming has paused all advertising in Ukraine and donates one million uh, to Ukrainian Cro Red Cross. And there's many, many, many companies. Um, and I think if you're a company, you should follow the examples above. Uh, if you have, you know, uh, the means to, to support this and uh, these are very tangible support and much needed. Uh, I think the, the companies that are only like publicly condemning or taking, you know, 
uh, action against Russian players, which I've seen also being discussed, are, in my opinion, just wrong because um, the actions that support Ukrainians is what counts. And I personally salute all the companies that have rallied to help the Ukrainians in need rather than uh, condemning, uh, uh, you know, just, that's the work of politicians and, and it doesn't help anybody on the ground. So let's talk about the impact in the industry. Now, Ukraine and Belarus are both hotbeds for game development. There's local companies like GSC Games who are behind, you know, the Stalker franchise. There's countless of different outsourcing partners, uh, roommate to, to name one. And there are lots of studios from several top plot, uh, publishers, from Playrix to Playrium, from Big Fish to Playtico. For example, Gardenscapes developer Playrix has detailed the measures to take to, that it has taken to support more than 1,500 of, of its staff in Ukraine. And uh, as an example, they uh, as of Thursday in February 24th, all employees in the region have been on paid leave. Several 24-7 hotlines have also, also been set up to assist with financial aid, legal support, relocation, and more. Um, as of today, all these companies are focusing on helping people, uh, and no one is thinking about tomorrow, let alone the next month or a quarter, which is the right thing to do. I'm not a geopolitical expert, as, as everybody understands. I think there's kind of three outcomes uh, on a high level from, from this war. So one is Russia basically conquers or annexes uh, Ukraine, uh, and that leads to these massive sanctions continuing. There's a guerrilla warfare, there's exodus of, of populations all around, horrible thing. The, the second scenario is Ukraine gets a defensive victory, loses some areas, but stays independent. But uh, as we've been seeing from the news, Russia is essentially destroying the country's infrastructure. And there's been some, some words basically, if we can't have it, then, then it's just, we're just going to leave a pile of, of, of stones here. So that's also you know, a not a positive scenario. And of course, the third scenario is the media warmongering war reaches a point where NATO helps Ukraine. We're all in World War III at which point I'll be rejoining the Finnish Defense Forces in my capacity as a second lieutenant in Jaeger anti-tank infantry, um, very much hoping that uh, the Defense Forces would consider me in a different role, maybe a propaganda division. I'm pretty good at podcasting and blogging, so I haven't shot a bazooka in, in 15 years, so, so maybe maybe not that, but, uh, but whatever you guys need. So uh, imminent future for game companies. I think number one is... Israel game companies and tech sector as a whole is part of my French fucked. Uh, a lot of Israeli companies are severely invested in Belarus and Ukraine with both direct and indirect workforce. To some estimation, between 60 to 80,000 developers work for Israeli tech companies. As we know, Israel has an incredibly booming tech scene. And with, uh, with a lot of Russian Jews, they've been able to set up uh, locations in the same time zone with Ukraine and Belarus, and through that have been extremely successful in scaling up their operations. Now, with both Belarus and Ukraine being sort of out of commission, I mean, Ukraine, Belarus is still working. We have uh, our company, for example, has people there, and, and it's still working. But if the banking system is getting cut off, you can't pay them salaries, and, and that's not good. And, and um, you know, anything can happen in, in the next weeks or months. I think the biggest winners, if we can talk about winners in this type of situation, are, of course, India, Southeast Asia, and China. I mean, there's a lot of existing game development studios with, with you know, several outsourcing co companies. I think their contracts will get significantly increased. I bet that at this point, there's a bunch of Israelis already making deals with, uh, with you name it, Indian studios and, and all of these Southeast Asian studios just to um, offset and de-risk their, their operations because, of course, they're helping their employees in, in these countries, but they also need to produce more content to, to stay alive and stay afloat. So I think that's the next step. Um, I also believe that a lot of Russian game companies will relocate to Asian countries. Uh, I think if, you know, these sanctions are unheard of, so that leads to the collapse of the whole Russian economy. And the Russian teams and, and you know, Russian people as a whole are, I don't believe they're in for this war. They don't have any clue what's going on. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to some people there and they don't see any news. It's, it's all about state media. Everything is censored. Uh, they have no clue. And, and they're definitely not, not, you know, those who understand anything are not for the war against Ukrainians. Now, when the economy collapses, I think there's, uh, these, these studios will be leaving and relocating to Asia. I think that's the uh, Malaysia, 
um, Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam. I think a lot of Russian studios will, will relocate there and continue development. Uh, I mean, th they have the means and they have the resources. And I think any country uh, or any governor or any mayor that welcomes those studios is, is well off because they will essentially bring in a booming uh, gaming sector or a start of a gaming sector in their country. So uh, I know it's a business podcast. I don't mean to be insensitive by talking about, you know, not talking about the loss of human lives. And, and this is definitely something that is not keeping me very happy. It's a super sad thing. It's super sad to read the news every day and and um, just, just trying to analyze of what the impacts of this war will be, uh, assuming that it doesn't escalate more from this. Any thoughts? Yeah, I'm not sure we can really add. No, just, you know, just a crisis situation. Uh, really, uh, yeah. really um, upsetting to, to watch it unfold. And, uh, you know, let's hope it gets resolved sooner rather than later in a, in a diplomatic and peaceful way, although that train may have left the station. I, I just hope the best for all Bummer the, of a note to end the podcast on. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, so all, all the hope... best for all the Ukrainian game developers out there, right? There's yeah, incredible I'm... talent in that, in that country. It's, um, uh, it's and making sure that they can all, you know, find, kind find of a no-win situation. Place. But uh, right, yeah. All right, let's well, yeah, let's just hope they can keep their country and everybody. Mm -hmm. So if you there's a there's a way ways to support Ukrainians. I'm gonna add actually links below in this podcast description uh, for verified ways for you to support uh, Ukrainians who actually need your support. So on that unpositive note, I'm sure we're gonna return with a more positive uh, podcast episodes unless I'm sent to war. But in that case, <laughs> I'll listen to this podcast from the front. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, everybody have a have a have a good week, safe week, and um, and um, yeah, it is what it is. Yep. See ya.